I hope you enjoyed a great Saturday, maybe watching some football, uh, watching Coastal Whoops butt last night, right? I mean, it was a great game. It was awesome. And um, so, so just thankful for that. And, and, and I'm thankful you've made it to church today. You're here and uh, that, that you're ready to uh, maybe dive in. So I'm, I'm going to start right away by, by, by simply asking, not asking a question, I'm going to make a statement. And And here's what I need. I need a little crowd participation on this. If you agree with me, then just raise your hand with this one or make a noise, whatever you want to do. If you agree with this statement that some things demand a response. Okay, like like you're with me, right? Like there's just some things in life that demand that you do something with it. For instance, when you're driving down the road and you see a police officer... It demands that you tap your brakes, slow down, right? Like some of you are in my court. It's like immediately you see the police are like, oh, hit that brake. I don't care how fast I was going, I'm hitting that brake, right? Because I don't know. So it demands a response. So how about this? A dirty diaper. Yeah, like a dirty diaper demands a response. Like you got to do something with that. How about this? When your cell phone buzzes in your pockets. Right? Like, like, here's what happens. The minute you feel that buzz, or maybe it's even a phantom of buzz, that, that you're like, I got to check it. Like, like, it drives you nuts to maybe be sitting in class or sitting at church or, or sitting in a meeting, and you're like, I, I, I just want to know. Like, was that an email? Was that a text? What was it? To the point that some of you will wear smartwatches, and you'll be like, oh, I just want to stretch a little bit, you know. Because it demands a response. All right, here's one. Guys, this is more for us. Girls, I have no clue what you think when this happens, okay? But as dudes, I think you'll, I think you'll agree with me that any time a guy gets hit in the no-no zone, that it demands a response. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody, like you're watching a video and you see it happens. And the two responses are always this. Ooh, or, <laughs> and we laugh. Like, why is it as dudes, we laugh anytime somebody gets hit there, right? Ever since middle school, if a friend gets hit there or passes gas as a guy, we laugh. I don't know why, but we do. It demands a response. All right, how about this one? I'm going to test you on this one. We'll see if this demands a response. All right, all right, not bad, not bad. But at the 1130 crowd, I think I'd get a little bit more than that. Like maybe like this one. Freeze, everybody clap your hands. Now here's the, here's the crazy thing about that one. Like many of y'all were on beat. Like you can clap on beat to that one, but in a worship song you're like, hmm. And you front row, you screw up the drummers and stuff. They'll be like, man, I got to play louder. Because on the front row, they a little off. You know what I'm saying? All right, last one. Come on, come with me here. Everybody now. Good. You, you get it. There are just some things that demand a response. And one of those things is Jesus Christ. 
Amen? Jesus Christ demands a response. You see, we're in this series, and we're calling it Finding the Way. And we set it up last week by saying that we want everybody to find and follow the way of Jesus. That, that Jesus is the way. That he is the way to the Father. He is the way uh, of life. He is the way home. But, but as the way... He demands, he requires some things out of us. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about the things that the way requires. And the first one I'm going to hit is this, a response. That, that Jesus demands a response out of us. And here's the response. At least the first one, acknowledge and accept. Like, like, I want to boil it down as, as simple as I can make it, that, that Jesus demands a response to find and follow the way of Christ. It demands a response, and the response is to acknowledge and accept him, to acknowledge who he is, to acknowledge what he has done, and then to accept him as your Lord and Savior. And so what I want to do is, for the rest of our time together, I, I just want to try to, try to put that out there. Because I know in a crowd this big and people watching online and on demand that there, there are those who haven't accepted. There are those who haven't acknowledged. There are those who, who haven't made that decision. And, and some of you have. And, and so my prayer is that, that for those of you who have, that today will be a great reminder. But for those who haven't, then, then my prayer is that today, in a very simple way, I'm going to be able to help you understand who Jesus is. And, and I want to do it by, by looking at probably the simplest sermon about Jesus ever. Maybe the shortest sermon that we have recorded in Scripture about who Jesus is and what he has done. And that, that it's a sermon that a, that a guy named Peter preached. It's actually the first sermon to our knowledge that was ever preached after Jesus ascended and went back to heaven. And we have this sermon recorded for us in the book of Acts. And, and then this whole series will be in Acts, but, but today will be in Acts chapter 2. And if you don't understand the Bible or, or the book of Acts, it's, it was a book that a guy named Luke wrote. That Luke was a doctor, but he was also a historian. And he wanted to write an orderly account of who Jesus was and what Jesus did and the followers of Christ. So the first letter that he wrote was the book of Luke. The second letter he wrote was the book of Acts. It's really a two-part uh, letter and explain who Jesus is and what his followers did. And in it, we have this first sermon. Now, before I talk about the first sermon, I got to set it up because if I don't set it up, then, then the sermon won't necessarily make sense out of context. And see, what had happened is these apostles, we can call them followers of the way, were waiting because Jesus had told them before he ascended to heaven, hey, that, like the Holy Spirit's going to come. I need you just to go and then wait until I show up in the form of the Spirit. And then when I show up, I want you to go and be my witness. I want you to go into the world, and I want you to tell people about me. So these leaders, these apostles, followers of the way, they're, they're sitting in a room. They're just waiting for the Holy Spirit, which they don't to totally understand, but they're waiting for Jesus' spirit to show up. And, and while they're waiting, all of a sudden, there was a sound like thunder, like a rushing and roaring wind. 
And, and then there was fire that kind of fell on them like tongues of fire. So totally a spiritual experience was happening while they were praying. And then they began to, to speak in what they called tongues, meaning they were speaking languages that they didn't understand. And from there, they went out to the streets. It was early in the morning, about 10 o'clock in the morning, and people started noticing. They'd heard the, the loud sound of the thunder. They, they started noticing these people speaking in their own languages. They were a little confused by it. So thousands of people started to gather around. We don't know how many, but if I had to guess, I would say probably between five and 10,000. It's a guess based off how many we know responded, which I'll get to that at the end. Okay, but uh, thousands of people, I could at least say it that way, thousands of people gathered around. And when they gathered around, they heard these people speaking in their own dialect. And so they listened in. And as they were listening, Peter said, I want to make Jesus clear to you. I want to make Jesus known to you. Which again takes me back to this point with us here in the room. That there's some of you go, oh, I know who Jesus is. But I know that there's some of us who don't, that you've just started to investigate who is Jesus. You've just started to, to get curious of who Jesus is. Like, like maybe you've heard of him at Christmas time, or maybe you've heard his name, but if you were honest, you'd be like, I don't really know who Jesus is. I, I don't really understand his story. Well, fortunately, we have what Peter said written down, and, and it's a simple telling of who Jesus is that, that I simply want to say as well. It starts this way. It's Acts chapter 2, uh, and it's verse 22 through 24. It says, people of Israel, listen. And when I say people of Israel, because remember, thousands of people are gathered around from all different, uh, with all different dialects, from all different providences throughout the area. They all gathered for the day of Pentecost. And then this is what it says. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles and wonders and signs through him, as you well know. He's saying, you've heard the stories, but let's just make sure we understand something. It was God who publicly endorsed Jesus. It was God who put a stamp of approval on Jesus. And he put a stamp of approval by, through wonders, through miracles, through signs. And what does that mean? It means that, that Jesus did all these signs, did all these miracles, did all these wonderful things, and people took notice of it. But the reason for the miracles, the reasons for the wonders, the signs, was to give proof of who he was. And these signs started at the very beginning. They started at his birth and how he was born. But, but then we can go on to when he was age 30, he started his what we call public ministry. And the first thing he did is he got baptized. And when he got baptized, there was a voice from heaven that, that said, this is my son, in him, am I, in him I am well pleased. Uh, it says that the spirit came down, descended like in bodily form upon Jesus. So at Jesus' baptism, that we see uh, these signs of God saying, I endorse him. But it wasn't just there. See, from there, he went on and did just hundreds of miracles. He turned water into wine at a wedding. 
that there was a guy that he met whose legs didn't work and he helped him to be able to walk, that he showed up at a pool where another guy was lame and, and he healed him and helped him to get well, and that he went to those who were blind, those who were deaf, those who, who um, couldn't speak, and he helped them to see and hear and talk. He went to people who, whose hands were shriveled up or who were covered with leprosy, and he brought healing into their body. He even went to dead people. He went to a little girl who had died, and he grabbed her by the hand and said, little girl, get up. That, that he went to a, a son who was dead and, and in a funeral procession, and he stopped the funeral and said, young man, sin up. He went to a guy named Lazarus who was dead and in a tomb for four days, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. He did all of these things. Why? Well, one, because of the compassion and love in his heart. I mean, one, let's just make sure we know that, that Jesus saw the people, had compassion on them, so he healed them. Because of love, he did it. But that wasn't the main reason why. The main reason he did these signs and wonders and miracles was to give testimony that he was who he said that he was. And who he said he was, was God in the flesh. And when he was doing a few miracles, people were okay with that. But when he started claiming to be God in the flesh, there were some people who were like, oh, well, that's too much for me. There were some religious leaders that were like, whoa, 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 that's too much for me. There were some followers of his that, that, that when he said, why am God in the flesh? They're like, oh, explain that a little more. He goes, well, actually, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And some of his disciples are like, oh, that's too much. Like, like at first I thought you were just a little crazy because you were claiming to be God. But now you're saying I'm going to have to pick up a cross and die. Like I'm good with you giving me some bread and fish and healing my friend. But I don't, I don't know if I'm in favor of you telling me I, I got to pick up my cross. And what happened is the crowds they turned on him. We see that. It's in the very next verse of Peter's sermon. He said, but God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to the cross and killed him. That, that, that what Peter is preaching is the story of Jesus. He's saying Jesus came, he did signs, he did wonders, he did miracles. God gave a stamp of approval. And when that was happening, people got mad. The religious leaders, they got mad. His followers got mad. Judas, who was one of the 12, started realizing, wait, Jesus isn't doing what I wanted Jesus to do. I thought he was going to set himself up as king and kick the Romans out, and that's not happening, so I'm not getting the benefit of what he's doing right now, so instead I'll betray him. This didn't take God by surprise. God knew what was going to happen. And he even says it, that, that he was betrayed with the help of lawless Gentiles. What does that mean? It means the Romans. It means there was a guy named Pilate who was a leader, and these religious leaders brought Jesus to Pilate and was like, Pilate, we want him killed. And Pilate investigated. He put him on trial. He's like, he's done nothing that deserves death. Oh, sure, he said a few things that y'all don't like, but he's done nothing to deserve death. He's innocent. And, and the people are like, no, 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 no. You've got to crucify him. And he's like, why? So then Pilate takes him to Herod, and Herod's another leader, and they, they confer together like, no, he's innocent. I'm going to release him. I'll tell you what, 
to make you happy, we'll flog him. We'll hit him 39 times across his back, down his buttocks, down to his ankles. We'll whip him. But we're going to let him go. He doesn't deserve to die. And the people said, no, crucify, crucify, crucify. And rather than Pilate follow the way of Christ, he followed the way of the crowd. And he wasn't willing to, to find and follow the way. Instead, he followed the crowd and said, let him be crucified. But that's not where the story ends. It doesn't end with Jesus just going to the tomb. It gets better because the next thing Peter said is this. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not, it could not keep him in its grip. Amen? That death could not keep him in its grip. That, that, that hell could not keep him. The grave could not contain him. That Jesus was raised from the dead and we are witnesses of this. See, that's the story of Jesus. That yes, he died. And he was killed because people, well, they just didn't want to believe who he was. And they didn't want to believe in what he was doing. So they killed him. We see it in this next verse. Peter said this, verse 36. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. And, and I want to focus on three things there, that, that he is both Lord and Messiah. Look at those two first. What that means is Jesus is king, that he is God in the flesh. He is king. He is Lord. He is master. And he is Messiah, which means he is savior. He is anointed one. He is the promised one. He is the one who has been promised to save you from your sins and deliver you to all of eternity with God. That's what it means by Messiah. And he's able to do that because he is Lord. See, what separates Jesus from every other faith-based system in the world, from everybody else who has ever come and said that they were God, from everybody else who's ever said, I can save you, because there have been people for thousands of years who have said that. There are still people today who will claim to be God, to claim to be the way, but not a single one of them has ever been able to live up to their own prediction. But Jesus said, I am God, and I'm going to prove it to you because I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to be buried for three days, and then on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. And he not only predicted it, he pulled it off. And that separates him. And that is why he is King, Lord, Messiah, and Savior, anointed one, promised one. Yet, even though he was the one who was able to do that, people killed him, whom you crucified. And I want you to focus on that for a second because you got to remember the context of Peter's sermon. Peter is literally in front of thousands of people. Again, I don't know exactly how many, but, but I would predict 5,000, maybe 10,000. 
And they're listening, and he's looking all of them in the eye like I'm looking you in the eye. And he said, this Jesus whom you crucified. Yeah, yeah, you were you the ones. Because you got to remember, it was only 50 days earlier that some of those people were there when Pilate was saying, I'm going to release him. And those people were going, no, crucify, crucify, crucify. And I wonder if we're any different. I wonder if we're any different than those who did that. You see, there were some in that crowd when Peter said this who were cut to the heart and recognized their wrongdoing. There was also some in the crowd who definitely didn't. See, there were some in the crowd who were like, I hear what you're saying, Peter, but for me to admit that Jesus is king and Messiah, well, for me to do what you're saying to do, for me to find the way, it would have to admit that, I would have to admit that I had wrong thinking and that I had wrongdoing. And I'm not willing to admit that I was wrong about who he is. And I'm not willing to admit that I put him on a cross. And I think there's some of us who are in that boat who would say, man, good story about who Jesus is, but I'm not willing to acknowledge it. And I'm not willing to acknowledge it because I don't want to admit my wrong thinking. I don't want to admit that, that, I, that I thought wrong about God, that I've thought wrong about life. Or... I don't want to admit wrongdoing. I don't want to admit that I've done wrong. Because if I've truly done wrong and I truly need salvation, then, then I don't know if Jesus could actually bring it. See, I, I think there's times, and I, I know this happens, that we think there's no way Jesus could ever forgive me, so I'm not going to admit how wrong I actually am. I'm just going to try to erase it. Yet you find yourself, maybe you find yourself here in this moment, and your heart's cut. And you're like, and I want to do something. And maybe you're like the people back then, again, just 2,000 years ago, listening to Peter's sermon. It says this, that Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Because my heart is cut because I do recognize it that there was something in Jesus that I didn't recognize then, but I do now. And I do recognize that I sinned, but, but if, I, if I'm the one who put him on the cross, what, what do I do about that now? There's no way he could forgive me. And again, I think there's sometimes we fall in that same boat where we're like, man, I'd like to come to Christ. I'd like to, I'd like to acknowledge and accept him, but there's no way he could forgive me. And I want you to recognize that's errant thinking. Remember, these people, some of these people are the very ones who would have drove the nails into Jesus. The very ones who sat in the crowd and yelled, crucify, crucify, crucify. And if Jesus is able to forgive those who literally put the nails in or literally yelled, crucify, then Jesus can forgive you and me. Right? I don't want you to sit here and say, there's nothing I can do. No, you can, because he can, because he will, if we acknowledge and accept. 
Well, how do I accept him? Okay, if I'm going to acknowledge, yes, he is king. Yes, he is Lord. Yes, he is Messiah. Yes, he is my Savior. Then how do I accept him? Well, the beauty is the next verse tells us. It's verse 38. It says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Like, I want you to see everything here, that, that you need to repent, that you need to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Like, he lays it out there for us, that, that, that honestly, I could preach for the next hour and a half on this verse. I won't. I will for nine more minutes. But I want you to see everything that's in here. Because what Peter does, he says, you want to know how to accept Christ? Then repent. Just repent. And you might go, well, what does repent mean? Turn. It means to turn. That's exactly right. Now, sometimes we'll think of it this way. It means to say, I'm sorry. And it does. It does mean to say, I'm sorry. And it does mean to turn away. I don't want you to think those are wrong thoughts. Those are right thoughts. But it goes even deeper than that. If you're to go back to the original language that, that this book, the, the book of Acts was written in, it's the Greek. And the Greek word, which I don't do this often, but, but I'll do it today because I think it matters, that, that the Greek word for repent is actually this word that, that is meta-noah. Okay, meta Noah. Now, I'm making up how you say the last part, okay? Because I don't know how you say it. None of us really do because Greek is not a language that is spoken today. Meta, we can all, we can do phonics and figure that one out. And you've heard things like metamorphosis, stuff like that. That word means change. The word Noah, Noia, means mind or thinking. So to repent, here's what it really means. To have a change of mind and heart. To have a change of thinking. And in the context, remember, they thought Jesus was a liar. They thought Jesus was a lunatic. They thought Jesus was off his rocker. And so they said, crucify, crucify, crucify. And now they're going, nope. We're going to have a change of mind and heart. On who Jesus is, which means you turn. I change, I turn, I go from thinking this way all about myself and Jesus is here to fulfill me to I'm gonna repent, I'm gonna follow Jesus, I'm gonna think what he thinks, I'm gonna put my mind on him, which means my life should follow suit. And that's the reason when I come to Christ, there's some things that naturally should stay behind as I'm coming to follow him. That's repentance. And that's what every one of us needs to do. But, but it, it goes further than that. He said this, repent and be baptized. So, so we repent, we have a change of mind, a change of thought, and we get baptized. Now, what does this idea of, of baptism mean? All right? Again, it's a word we don't, we don't use very often. But if you were to go back to the Greek, it means to dip or to immerse, to go down into water. And, and the thought here is that when we're baptized, when we're immersed, what we're doing is we're acknowledging 
who Jesus is. We are showing that we have accepted him. All right? Because our salvation comes by God's grace, but our faith is demonstrated through this repentance and baptism. So when I'm getting baptized, what I'm doing is simply showing the world, making a commitment to the Lord and showing the world that I have had a change of thought and change of heart. And, and it, gets, it gets confusing. People all the time, especially those who come from different faith backgrounds, they'll be like, well, what? I, I just don't get baptism or I don't get why I have to do it. It, it makes me think of a guy named Naaman. And Naaman's from the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible. And Naaman had leprosy at one point in his life. And, and he heard that there was a prophet named Elisha in Israel that could heal him. And so Naaman went to Elisha. And he showed up. He said, hey, Elisha, I've heard you can heal me. I have leprosy. And Elisha looked at him and said, go dip yourself. Go baptismo yourself in the Jordan seven times. Go dip seven times and you'll be healed. And Naaman got mad. Like he got angry. He's like, I thought I was coming to some prophet who was going to do some magical work over me and, and, and do this big thing and I was going to be healed. Or I thought he was going to tell me, go and do all these things and, and work hard and eventually I'd be healed. But he told me to go dip myself in that dirty old river. It'd be like me sitting there saying, hey, if you want to get clean with God, go jump in Crabtree. And if you don't know what Crabtree is, it's the creek right beside us that everything flows downhill from Aner from, okay? <laughs> that, that, that it's a dirty little creek. You'd be like, I don't want to jump in that dirty creek. And that was Naaman going, I ain't jumping in that dirty water. And he left mad. Naaman's servant came to him, though, and said, hey, if he would have told you to do something great, would you have done it? Yeah. If he would have told you to work hard for it, would you have done it? Yeah. If he did some, like, magical thing over you, would you be like, great? Yeah. Well, then if he's simply telling you to go dip seven times in the water, then just do the simple thing. Just do the simple thing. And that's how it is with baptism. Don't get caught up in what all I it's a simple thing that Jesus said, make disciples and baptize in my name. So Peter said, Jesus told me to say this. I'm saying it. Repent and get baptized in his name, and you'll receive the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you got to remember the whole reason these guys were all gathered around listening to what Peter said is because they all saw something, heard something, experienced something, said, there's something different there. I want what those guys have. And Peter said, you want what we have? It's the Holy Spirit. And it comes when you repent, when you get baptized. It comes when you accept Jesus, acknowledge him for who he is. And the beauty of the Holy Spirit in our lives is it means this, that, that the Holy Spirit of God takes up residency, which means peace takes up residency. Hope takes up residency. Love takes up residency. That wisdom takes up residency. That, that, that the, the inheritance of eternal life we get sealed with it through the power of the Holy Spirit, as Ephesians 1 says, that, that he takes up residency, which means on the day we die, he goes, yep, he's good. He gets inheritance. 
that he takes up residency and gives us gifts, as it says in 1 Corinthians, so that we can serve God and serve others. Well, how do I get the Holy Spirit in my life? Acknowledge and accept. See, it takes me back to where I started. Some things in life demand a response. And one of those things is Jesus. And the response that he demands is, this, is that we acknowledge and accept him as our Lord and our Savior. And I want you to do that today. And, and I know some of you came, you just came to check out church, you just showed up for another Sunday maybe, you weren't, you weren't thinking, I need to really accept him as my Savior, I need to acknowledge him, but something's happening in your heart, that the Holy Spirit is piercing, the Holy Spirit is convicting, and you're like, man, I need to do something. Man, realize this, you're not alone. It was 2,000 years ago on the day that Peter preached this sermon. And on that day, it says they were cut to the heart. And then 3,000 of them responded to the gospel message. 3,000 people on that day said, I want to acknowledge and accept Jesus. And I'm sure when they showed up that day and heard Peter preach, they weren't expecting that to be part of their story. But on that day, they repented. On that day, they got baptized. And since then, for the last 2,000 years, people have been showing up, been hearing the gospel message, and saying, I want to acknowledge him, and I want to accept him as my Savior. And I think there's those of you who maybe need to do that today. Maybe you need to take a step of baptism today. And I know you might be like, I wasn't planning on it. 3,000 of them back then weren't planning on it either. But maybe you need to. We've had four people so far, two in the first service, two in the uh, 10 o'clock service. Maybe there'll be a couple more today who will say, man, I'm ready. I want to acknowledge. I want to accept. And we've got clothes. We've got towels. We'll take care of you. And if you're like, man, I'm ready, then I'm going to invite you to do this. I'm going to invite you to pull out that little index card that's probably in a chair in front of you. There's nothing special about that index card, but we've been using them in our prayer walk. And maybe for you, it's saying, writing a little note just to God, between you and God, going, I'm ready to acknowledge you. I'm ready to accept you. I'm ready to repent and be baptized. And you make that prayer to God, and maybe for you, then you you bring it up front. And on the front of our baptistry, people have rolled up those prayers, and they've stuck it in that little prayer wall. Some people have done it over here on this side as well. And you just offer up that prayer to God. And then you, you go talk to somebody who will be standing right by the baptist and say, I'm ready to get baptized today. Or maybe you're like uh, one of our young adults last hour who said, I'm ready, but I want my friends and family to be here when I do it next week. So I'm coming to the Lord today and I'm going to get baptized next week. I want you to work that out. And I want you to respond. I want you to do me a favor if we would all stand up right now and And let's go into this time of worship. Let's go into this time of connecting with him. See, for others of us, you have accepted him. You've acknowledged him as your savior. But maybe today what you do is is just you continue to proclaim that. That's what communion is. Every week when you take communion, what you're doing is you're acknowledging who Jesus is. You're acknowledging what he has done. 
And there's communion on the, the front of the stage if you desire to do that. Maybe you've got another prayer request that you need to give to the Lord. Write it on that card. Take it to those prayer walls. Whatever you do, don't do what some of the people in the crowd 2,000 years ago did when they heard Peter's message. And they said, I'm not going to have a change of mind. I'm not going to have a change of heart. I'm going to continue doing what I've been doing. Don't be like them. Instead, be like the 3,000 who heard the story and acknowledged and accepted and responded. Let's respond. Jesus, we come before you, acknowledging you as Savior, acknowledging you as God, accepting you into our lives. Jesus, we respond. Amen. Let's do that right now. Let's respond.